0: Like my favourite Glee cover that was ever done Was when Kurt and Mercedes did Madonna's Four Minutes four minute. I love Iconic. it so much I or listen like, to it at least once a month It's literally amazing <laughs> It's, it, it it's so much better
1: than the original It's so, so much, much better.
0: better Than the original and like all I could hear was like It was like Joe Biden ah, You gotta give it up ah, ah, ah. I was like 100 days, 100 days, 100 days I was like <laughs>
1: perform and Mm -hmm. deliver. Respect Lasky-Ancorda, it will be one sentence and I am responding. What a load of spin and nonsense. He has only challenged my personality Mm -hmm. and pointed out my gender.
0: And cop on a small bit,
1: Welcome to the Polling Station podcast with Neve and Amy, where each week we try to make politics a little bit easier to grasp. This week, we're looking at the first 100 days of the 46th President of the United States, Joe Biden, what he's done so far, what he has he achieved, and what can we expect in the next four years. And I suppose the 100 days, some people might think, why the 100 days? Essentially, the reason why is kind of it traces back to Franklin D. Roosevelt or FDR as he's commonly referred to, you know, the Democratic president during World War II, you know, revolutionized America and in a legislation he passed, you know, during his first 100 days, he passed a monumental 76 laws and it was like they were rapidly pushed through. You know, he set the minimum wage, power to regulate the stock market, close the American banks. And this is where a kind
0: of has come to the fore in uh, american politics and american media he really set like fdr set the standard for like what could be done in 100 days now in the context it was the great depression there was a world war stuff had to be done and there was a goal and everyone to push it through but it was like everyone was like my god like that's the standard now for every president to meet and yeah it's kind of been thrown around ever since him that it's like what has everyone done in their 100 days I suppose
1: the only other really consequential one that I can remember is Lyndon B. Johnson. Yes. Um, when he came in, you know, he came in, the country was in a crisis, not as, as severe, obviously, but, you know, JFK was just assassinated. He had come in, obviously, as, as his VP, and, you know, he had pushed through a lot of legislation that was worked on, obviously, in the, in the JFK administration, but, you know, we had the Civil Rights Bill and the Voting Rights Bill that came through, which was obviously monumental in terms of, in terms of racial relations and equality for African-Americans, so... Yeah. And I suppose it's a, it's it's kind of like a marker to see what happens and also to see how their you know, what their approval ratings are, are like. I suppose when you look four years ago, we had President Trump, his approval rating was at 45 percent. Previously, you know, President Obama was 62 and then George Bush, George W. Bush, the baby Bush, he was at 63. So it's just it kind of obviously that changes throughout time. So Mm -hmm. at the moment, he's looking just over 50, about 52, 53, depends. Fox News says 53% and then uh, an ABC poll says 52. So he's just... He's middle of the road. Middle of the road, exactly. But I suppose when we're looking back to his presidency, January 20th, and it it was a really fraught political time, you know, Mm -hmm. people were still dealing with the aftermath of the insurrection. And I think as well, I suppose while it is part of the start of his presidency he didn't seem to kind of get involved or no he, he like he wasn't on the defense team at the, of the democrats or you know he kind of very much let that left that to the to the house democrats to put that case forward so i suppose we're looking that's what we're going into an incredibly divided nation you know he kind of started off his campaign you know that they're fighting for the soul of america, america. you know very very Captain America esque. I don't know. Um
0: oh, he was. He was, wasn't he? He was. he was. He was like this united figure that wasn't too scary for anybody that was going to recapture. Yeah. Oh, I went to, go to Southern American there, but recapture the soul. You're feeling it. We're America. getting into we're, it. We're, we're into getting... it. We're
1: into it. So, Amy, what was kind of like the first thing then that started the most consequ- well not really consequential, but we're in office. What do we see? Biden does his first thing do, because we're obviously in the midst as well of a pandemic. So Possibly, you could say, similar to FDR in the sense, you know, raging crisis that's affecting people's lives. You know, people are dying. It's affecting the entire world and it's crippling the economy.
0: Oh, absolutely. Like he literally came in COVID. She was there. There's a crisis in jobs and housing and everything because of that and a crisis in healthcare. And the first thing that Joe Biden did, which is actually what a lot of American presidents did, is he sat down and he started signing executive orders and people are like what what is an executive order well if you don't know what an executive order is it's kind of this thing that's just available to like the federal government so just available to the president of the united states and it's not legislation so it's not enshrined in law or anything like that and it doesn't require any approval of Congress who hold the purse strings and Congress can't overturn it. And um, Now, Congress can pass legislation that might make it difficult to push it through, but it's essentially this executive order that's coming down from the head of the federal state that says you need to do this. And only a sitting US president can overturn an existing executive order by issuing another executive order to that effect. And That's what Joe Biden did. He sat down and he started writing executive orders to overturn all the executive orders that Donald Trump had done when he was in office. And that's the thing with executive orders, like they're real quick wins and real easy to push through, but they've no longevity because the next US president and is seen by kind of the seesaw nature of American politics being a Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, they can very easily be overturned, but they're I would personally consider them as more like a symbolic message of what their presidency is going to be about. Joe Biden literally stopped like halting the funding to Trump's border wall, reversing the travel ban targeted largely Muslim countries, imposing a mass mandate on federal property. The vaccine supplies were ramped up, and it was very much him saying that he didn't believe in Trump's core ideologies of kind of anti-immigration and then this kind of resistance he had against COVID. He was very much taking those immigration walls up and very much leaning into vaccines and kind of masks and what the rest of the world was kind of doing for COVID.
1: Yeah and he also I think as well you know the other two kind of really well-known executive orders that Trump did during his presidency was you know the US withdrawn from the uh, Paris climate agreement which it's just an agreement I think Amy you've mentioned this on another podcast it's just like on the CETA podcast it's just an agreement so yeah The US are now, they've come back in under Biden also as well. Um, He's reversed the ban that Trump had placed on transgender people in entering the US army. But I suppose it does, like, while executive orders, like you said, it's very common in every presidency to reverse, you know, Bush did it, Obama did it, Trump Mm -hmm. did it. It's it's not a surprise. I suppose it's just, there's just so much, I don't know, it's just kind of straight down the line, that's it. Like he, Biden has signed the most of executive orders of any president. He signed 60 in total. And 23 of them were reversing Trump's previous executive orders, a lot of the ones that you have mentioned, Amy, as well, where Trump, he only initiated over his four years, 36, Obama, 34, and Bush, 12. So it's huge disparity, I don't know, begs the question, like, can these issues not be addressed on the floor of the House of Representatives mm-hmm. or the floor of the Senate? Because evidently they can't be if they, if each president, because the next president who will be elected in 2024 if it is a republican president they could do the exact same thing so exactly. it just is a bit iffy and even the new i remember i'm going to mention this throughout the podcast but i'm an avid viewer of the view it's the on view. abc it's amazing it would be goldberg george behar megan mccain and like they discussed this at the time and it's just if you're looking for a debate women talking politics check it out you can watch it on youtube anyway essentially like there is a bit of obviously if you're a republican like megan mccain is you would worry but also like another one uh, there's another commentator Sarah Haynes who would be more of a moderate democrat and you would think like it is just a lot of like the presidential power kind of thing. so I I just think it's one to watch like is this just going to be a pattern of every president of a different party
0: and you have to see is this like a symptom of the partisan politics that we see very prevalent in American politics is this just a symptom and if you ask Joe Biden like he will say that he did all this because he inherited really Bad policies from Trump, and that's his defense for it. And that's what he says. You can be like, "Oh yeah, that's grand," but like you said, Neve, it's just like a lot of people are like, "There's nothing really substantial about these things." And is it just doing it for the sake of doing it? And why can't these stuff be dealt with? Is it showing how the fault lines in the American like legislative system and how they push it through? Maybe, but he got to sign them anyways. And like you said, the most signed of any president. So. He really yeah, set set his mark in the ground pretty, pretty early on. And I suppose the next thing then, which is crucial to any administration of any,
1: you know, the head of any government is his cabinet and who he appointed. And I think a lot of it, I have to say, whether you agree with his policies or not, he has put forward the most diverse set Absolutely. of uh, cabinet positions that, you know, America has seen in quite some time. You know, we've seen Janet Yellen. She's the first woman to ever hold the Treasury Secretary. Essentially, that's the finance minister equivalent over here. We have an all-female communications team, which is led by Jen Psaki, who's the press secretary, who, you know, red hair cut if anyone's seen her in the press. We have Celia Ruse as the first black person to serve as chair of the White House Council of Economic Affairs, which essentially... Economic advisors, should I say. So that's kind of just what it says on the tin. We have Alejandro Mayorkas is the first Latino and first immigrant to serve as Homeland Sec- Secretary. Avril Haines is the first woman to serve as top official as the Director of National Intelligence. And then we also have Xavier Becerra, the first Latino to run the Health and Human Services Department. So we're looking very diverse. We're looking yeah. very diverse, which is great. And it's not, I think because it's the same thing. We talked about it, you know, with quotas or whatever, these aren't like obviously you it's great to have diverse figures there but these people are extremely qualified that's That's the thing like they have been in politics a long time these aren't like like when you look at who trump appointed to his education education secretary betsy devos when she was you know just involved within the gop the republican party itself like rather than Mm -hmm. you know
0: she's an incredibly wealthy woman but she hadn't been a serving politician. Like you're saying, Eve, like a lot of Trump's appointments, you could very strongly argue that they got there because of their personal ties with Trump. Whereas Biden's cabinet, they had got there on their merit. And obviously it helps having a good personal relationship with the president. But you can't argue that any of those people don't deserve their spot. And it's great to see the cabinet reflect what America looks like and have that diversity of all those different minority groups in there. Exactly, and we
1: also saw the first transgender woman, Rachel Levine, is the assistant secretary of health, which is great. So we're seeing, and also Pete Buttigieg. You know, people who would refer to him as Mayor Pete. She was obviously a very prominent figure mm-hmm. in the Democratic selection to the run up of the twenty twenty presidential ele- election. He's the transport secretary. So there's a lot. There's a lot of diversity. A lot of people mm-hmm. are being. You know, we also have, and there's the first woman is is in the native is Native American as well as on the cabinet. So it's a very wide diverse range and I think like you said Amy it represents America and I think you just have to applaud that
0: yeah and it's it's disappointing that we're in 2021 and we're applauding the bare minimum representation of diversity but it is like a step and it's 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 a good one and it's an important one you do have to applaud Joe Biden for making that a priority in his when he was appointing cabinet members I suppose another point kind of about his cabinet
1: choices is the similarities it has with the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. You know, 12 out of the appointees, you know, served under President Obama as well. And you have Jen Psaki, even the, the press secretary served under him. You also have just a huge number of people. So it is kind of, it's very similar, but like it's not uncommon for, obviously since he was his vice president for eight years, they're going to have similar teams, but it's just, I think it's very interesting. Like, are we just going to look at a third Obama Obama. administration and
0: it's it's interesting because you think that will be something that Joe Biden will be aware of because very often on the campaign trail it was brought up it's a point that he's had to kind of hammer home that like obviously his time in the Obama administration was very important and impactful for him but he's his own president but then when you're exactly like not that it's uncommon but when you are appointing so many people from Obama's previous administration you have to be like is it the third one Hmm. interesting we want to work out to see because obviously in the run-up to the election Biden
1: was the center candidate you, you kind of wonder are these appointees the more moderate left-wing politics of Obama so some of his policies which we get into might not be reflective and could be deemed as a bit more progressive, progressive. in such a short
0: well <laughs> the dreaded p word progressive.
1: Yeah. and I think another important thing to mention is I think a man who's been Biden his time huh Biden <laughs> uh, Biden, is Merrick Garland so yes. if anyone doesn't know who Merrick Garland is essentially he was a Supreme Court seat came up in the year before the 2016 ele- uh, election so it was a year and a half it, was a, it, was, it wasn't as uh, but within that time frame a seat came up on the US Supreme Court and President Obama had nominated Merrick Garland very well respo- uh, respected judge and was seen as more of a moderate so would definitely kind of appeal across the aisle um, so to speak But Mitch McConnell, who was Senate Majority Leader at the time, said, no, we're not pushing that through. So he was like, no, no, no. And it didn't. And he didn't get his seat. And that seat subsequently then went to to a Republican nominee. But now he's getting his time to shine, ladies and gentlemen, as the Attorney General. So I think Merrick Garland, he waited his time.
0: I don't know his politics, but he just seems like a lovely man. He just like he's so much legal experience and whatever if you don't like agree with him you cannot argue that he's so perfectly qualified for the job so it is it is good it's it's good to see it's good to see for him
1: but i suppose not all of his cabinet positions and
0: merrick Garland, might i add he got in no problem
1: at all oh he he flew in this time (laughs) around and bush has not been all smooth sailing for all of his cabinet appointees and I suppose one of the controversies was the nominee Nira Tandon for mm-hmm. the office of management and budget. So, Amy, what exactly is going on there with Nira Tandon?
0: Yeah, so she was nominated, like you said, Lee, for the office of management and budget, but she was nominated and she had to withdraw her nomination because while she served as head for the Center of American. And progress, which was an economic think tank that was going on, she issued some like controversial tweets. So she called the Senate, the current Senate minority leader Mitch McConnell, Voldemort, and the Harry Potter villain. Just for people who might not know, but I hope I feel like Voldemort is is a cultural icon, really. And then she also labelled Senator Susan Collins. The worst, and saying that also saying that vampires had more heart than Ted Cruz, who is another Republican senator. She was also very critical of Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, a Democrat, and some of his supporters. And basically, people were saying that her comments were overtly partisan, they were toxic, and that she could not develop a relationship between Congress and the office of management and budget if she got into it so she withdrew her nomination and was you know she was backed by joe biden but she took the step to withdraw her nomination
1: which i think is a smart choice because Mm -hmm. obviously people on the left will say well we had a president for four years who you know said this and that about various different groups of people and about presidents you know he called joe biden sleepy joe or whatever but i suppose when joe's Joe Biden's messaging was we're going to heal the the soul of the nation and you have a nominee who's saying this. And like, look, Ted Cruz, obviously he's very, like, very right-wing, very...
0: He's a divisive divisive figure.
1: Very divisive. But like Senator Susan Collins, people, she's one of the more moderate um, (laughs) Republicans, people say. Like, she could, in the election just gone as well, there was talk that she would lose her seat because she is more on the moderate moderate side and has voted Mm. in line with, like, in bipartisan issues. And... Bernie Sanders, like I know he flips and flops between being a Democrat and an Independent, but he has been a big supporter of Joe and also Bernie voters transferred a lot of their votes, I I gather, to Joe. So it's just,
0: it would have been a really bad alienating like both ends of the spectrum and yeah it would have been really bad and as well like in the office of management and budget her kind of central role with joe biden helping him follow through on campaign promises like the affordable care act and stuff and she would have like needed the help of congress a lot and if she was saying all this stuff about people it just isn't good for like relations and pushes up through so i think it was definitely like the right decision that was made by her for the biden presidency not to have that kind of look about it and look, it could go to Shalanda
1: Yun, who is, you know, she's the, she was the deputy director of the OMB office. So it could go to her. You know, she's high praise on Capitol Hill and she's been working in the House Appropriations Committee. So look, and again, like you're still having a woman in, in that position. So Absolutely. if Joe Biden wants to remain, you know, with diverse picks, he will still have that.
0: Absolutely. But yeah, that kind of like sets it up, like what the Biden presidency made its mark with the executive orders. It had its cabinet pick. It kind of was like, this is what we're about. And now all he had to do was start policy rolls out. I bet, I guess the one that he's kind of talked about most globally is his vaccine rollout and the kind of COVID relief bills and COVID policies that he's brought about because of it. I think everyone kind of looks across at America. I know in Ireland anyways, he all these like, Vaccine numbers with nearly like 40% of adults haven't gotten their first dose. Uh, Like vaccines are going to be available to all adults by May that you can just register. Like it is, it is great, but obviously there is still the vaccine skepticism within America that is quite prevalent.
1: Exactly. And it does seem to be primarily, according to polls and research now, in white Republican men. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to and some people are saying, you know, the administration needs to make a cross party information campaign or whatever to assure, you know, not, and I'm sure there are Democrats as well who are vaccine hesitant as well. But it's just the the figures show that the highest percentage, but they need to kind of make sure that it's being brought up because like, as we've been told by you know, experts on this, we want to have herd immunity until 70% of the population, regardless of its side, is vaccinated. So maybe they do need to kind of. I think that's, that's not an issue exclusive to Biden. I think here in Ireland, we've had issues with information with regards to vaccines and rolling that out and ensuring to the public. So I think it's probably something that if they want more people to get vaccinated and the fact that he is, like you said, Amy, he has ramped it up. So the fact that so many people can get vaccinated, it's possibly another thing that they can do. And if you have a huge communications team, Then you might as well. But then I suppose the counter argument to that then is, well, it should be the Republicans who do it because it's their voters, their constituents. And, you know, a lot of people believed the false information that was being put out that it was a fake election. And so, on. you know, even though it has been verified and even under Trump's administration said it was the safest election ever, it is very much a catch 22. but It
0: is. I suppose at the end of the day, there's no harm with an information campaign. No. And I think as well, even an information campaign like there is, you know, according to the Center of Disease Control and uh, Preservation data, they are saying that like people of a black, Hispanic and Asian populations, their vaccination rate is much lower compared to that of white population. Obviously, there is vaccination hesitancy with white Republican men. But there's also other stuff that's stopping people from getting vaccinated, such as like limited access to vaccines for people of color, that there isn't public transport, to the vaccination centers that's facilitated in their area, ID requirements that they not mightn't be able to fulfill. So it's just about like making it more accessible for everybody and more appealing for everybody. And that's going to be a big, um, a big thing that Joe Biden's administration will need to look into to kind of really send the last goal in for the great game that they have had so far for rolling the vaccine out across America it has been a huge success largely yeah. like can't take it away anyone who has friends or family I have family in the US
1: I have such vaccine envy that <laughs> be va- you know I'm such vaccine <laughs> envy so true. you know I've, I've cousins younger than me and they will be vaccinated before, before I am because the, the rollout is just They're just cranking up the vaccines.
0: And it's another thing that Joe Biden actually has been critiqued about is this vaccine nationalism, that he actually put a ban on exporting the kind of surplus of vaccines that they have until all Americans are vaccinated. But would you know it that today the Biden administration announced that they were actually going to send 60 million doses of their AstraZeneca vaccine to other foreign countries, including India, who is unfortunately going through a really really ter- terrible it's just not even the word to kind of capture what their third wave is like that they really need it now caveat to that not dampening the great act that it is or whatever you want to call it and um, AstraZeneca actually hasn't been approved in the US yet and they actually haven't gotten any supplies of it yet so it is it is it is yeah it is a bit just a bit take take a moment take the hair flick examine that but it is good that uh, Joe Biden is making moves away from this vaccine nationalism because as every health expert has said it's the benefit of everybody that the most vulnerable and the oldest people get vaccinated to stop the spread of COVID to stop the spread of variants so it is good that he's making those moves towards it
1: and I suppose as well like on top of that we're still a year into it like and people are still suffering like hugely financially as well I suppose one of the most kind of really biggest bills, I think, was the COVID relief bill. It was $1. Oh, $1. $1.9 trillion, dollars, which is a huge amount of public spending on this bill. It was kind of, it stamped him off like, you know, I'm here to help. And essentially, he was providing direct payments of up to $1,400 per person, which would reach about 90% uh, of households. And then also families would get an additional $1,400 per child, which is different to the COVID relief bill that Trump signed last year. And also as well, Trump's bill last year it's not similar in terms of price. Like Trump's first COVID relief check was $1,200. But that primarily was, and it did go to, to households, but it also is it more of a focus on business, you know, which I suppose it's a, it's a, it's a line. That's the Republican ideology, you know, free market, pro market, and no big government where I, I, Democrats were here to help. Welfare. I, here you go.
0: And it's uh, that 1400 per child need that you called out there, like that's just huge because America doesn't have any child support like we would have here in Ireland or really across Europe. There's no child allowance or anything like that. This is the first thing that looks like that ever for America. And that is huge that they are kind of like you were saying, like that welfare that they're coming out and supporting that. And also that they like put about $35 billion into like states and local governments as well that they are kind of supporting local communities or funneling money into that there was 20 billion for kind of local governments to help low-income houses cover back rent and rent assistance and utility bills which again Eve like you were saying Trump's bill kind of focused more on the business side of it where Biden's bill has this kind of facet of for the people not just the businesses.
1: Yeah exactly and I think it's in line and I suppose like You know, Senator Mitch McConnell, who's now the Senate minority leader, thinks it's a waste of spending, like it's too much money for the government to be spending. And it's also it's mismanagement of spending. But like they were never going to agree on it. And it did pass. Like, I suppose like the Senate is incredibly like it's 50 50 and the casting vote goes to the leader of the Senate, which is the vice president. So Kamala Kamala Harris. Harris. So it was literally down to that. Like she had to vote it in. So it wasn't there was no cross party support on this. And look it got through it got through by the skin of its teeth now but it's an incredibly consequential piece of Ah. legislation a really big kind of he came in guns blazing and I suppose Ah. he was just like we're going to do it
0: and he as well put like money where his mouth is for like his vaccine program and everything funneling 14 billion into researching developing distributing and administrating uh, the vaccines as well as a further $47.8 billion to testing and contact tracing. So it was, you know, he was really clamping down on, as well as supporting people through COVID, he was also, you know, putting his money where his mouth is on actually providing money into kind of the scientific realm of COVID and making sure that was also correctly supported through this. So it can help get America out of, you know, these terrible waves of COVID as quickly as possible. But while I looked at the vaccine rollout,
1: Oh. Good. Diverse appointees who are also very qualified, very Check. good. COVID relief bill depends what where your ideology lies. It's good or bad, depends what you think. Um, but I suppose as well, it is you know, I suppose that child benefit is taken for granted in European countries, especially in Ireland. So that is a consequential move by the Biden administration, but I suppose it's not all smell and roses. Um, the issue with immigration in the US is something so nuanced that. that you know, we in Ireland can only go off what we hear in the media. And it's just been a crisis that's been going on since the Obama administration. And this, again, shocker has been one of the pitfalls of Biden's administration in the early days. And you can see a lot of people, if you're from a border state, so you're looking at Arizona, Texas, this is going to be a core issue for you. You know, everyone saw during the Trump administration, which, you know, the kids being taken away from their family and, you know, kids in cages, all that stuff, which was incredibly
0: horrific. But Biden's not looking too good under immigration at the moment either now, to be honest. No, now Biden ran his campaign and immigration policy on very much like that. America was going to be open to immigration. It was not going to follow the Trump's policy. Those executive order flashbacks, a lot of those are based on immigration. But it seems to be Biden's, kind of promise of this that is gonna be his downfall when it comes to immigration as well. So his biggest proposal to date was to allow new immigrants into the US and giving millions of unauthorized immigrants who are already in the country pathways to legal status. So he's kind of hoping to create legislation that will lead kind of an eight-year pathway to citizenship and update the existing like family-based immigration system, revise the employment-based visa rules, all this stuff. So very much opening the doors, everything like that. But Since taking office, more than 100,000 immigrants have attempted to enter the US. Um, And in February, that was like three times more than the previous year. And it was the highest level of months in like five years. And there was also a large amount of unaccompanied minors um, at the immigration border. A Washington Post reporter tweeted that there were 3,500 unaccompanied minors at the border in detention cells, and that more than 1,000 minors had exceeded the time that they were legally meant to be in these detention centers. So it's a real crisis. And a lot of people kind of, like this crisis has been building for a very long time. Like you were saying, like right back to Trump, obviously everyone saw the images of children in cages and the separation. how horrific that was but if you throw it back even further than that to the Obama administration he used some of his executive authority to grant deportation protection to some children of young undocumented immigrants through the deferred action of childhood arrivals program but this program unfortunately led to in 2014 there was a really huge surge of unaccompanied children that were seeking entrance into the United States and like This, there's lots of reasons that can be pointed to this, like there was a lot of gang violence going on at the time, but there was also a growing awareness of uh, this 2008 law and it was kind of, you know, this law got awareness through Obama's Deferred Action uh, for Childhood Arrivals program. It was this 2008 law that granted substantial protection for unaccompanied children that they could basically get through. the the border pretty like pretty handily like not that any way that you can get through the border and this was kind of a law that was still in situ from the, the great recession of 2008 so a lot of unaccompanied minors started arriving at the border and it was really overwhelming and when trump got elected he was trying to end at that, and set up deportation and stricter limits on refugees, which of course led to those really troubling images of children in cages and stuff like that. And a Biden's administration now has kind of led to another like surge of people coming to the border and looking to get in. And it just doesn't seem like his administration correctly planned for this. They don't seem to be even correctly acknowledging what a crisis is. Like Biden hasn't really confirmed if he's even going to go down there and see it, but it is this huge crisis. In the midst of a public pandemic, which is obviously with all these people together and these attention centers, these children that shouldn't even be there all crowded together. Like even it's a public health crisis as well as a humanitarian crisis. Yeah, it's it's just a symptom of when you promise a lot and don't have the policies in place to carry it through exactly amy and that's it like like
1: you said he ran on this policy like th- that the trump policy they're going to completely revoke it. But the fact of the matter is like the crisis is still there but he's also kept in title 42 which is what the trump administration brought in yeah. and title 42 was issued by the cdc so as you referred to them earlier amy as the center of disease and control prevention which allows custom border patrols to expel undocumented migrants to prevent the spread of the virus and holding facilities and it's come in last march and it has not it's mm-hmm. still there
0: it's important to know that this is actually a 75 year old law that they kind of manipulated into making it work for them so it's not even like a law that's like set up to do what it's meant to do it was like a 75 year old public health law that they use the trump administration to kind of shut a border and kind of fulfill i guess the promises that trump made and use the covid crisis to facilitate that
1: Exactly. So while there are slight differences in their immigration policy, it's not looking good for Biden at the moment. It's a huge crisis and the fact that that Title 42 is still in place. And, you know, P- Vice President Kamala Harris has been set up kind of t- like th- th- this is her thing to look at. You know, when Trump put former Vice President Mike Pence in charge of the COVID-19 team or advisory team, Kamala Harris is doing the same, which a lot of people kind of were quite, you know, nervous about because That's not her expertise. But I suppose the same way Vice President Pence wasn't an epidemiologist or had any background in public health, you know, they surround themselves with advisors. So you can only hope that the issue at the border can get sorted. But like you said, Amy, I don't think they came in planning with it. And they just don't seem to have comprehensive policies to deal with this at the moment. And obviously, this is playing into the Republicans' handbook and that, you know, saying that Biden's late. Uh, letting a load of people in but then democrats are also saying what they're doing because you know the detention centers are still there for unaccompanied minors so it's not winning him any political points across both parties Mm -hmm. democrats again say this is again it's inhumane and we need to stop this but so this is going to be a real
0: issue for him no and i think how biden is just not addressing this has kind of lent itself to it becoming more and more of an issue on both sides but i guess that's kind of a recurring theme of the biden presidency there has been a real lack of press conferences and sit down interviews and with Joe Biden since he got elected. Like he just hasn't really done anything. And I think he's like his first press conference came 65 days when he took office. Uh, President Obama held his 20 days into office and Donald Trump, President Donald Trump held his briefing on his 27th day. So kind of strange. It was. And like, I just he, he's never
1: seen, you know, anti wanting to do media. So it was really like, why are you not willing to put yourself to questions? Like we had mainly just been seeing press briefings with the press secretary, Jen Psaki. Like that's all we've been mainly seeing. And you do need to make yourself available and you do need to make yourself subject to questions and being. And also, I think another thing as well, I, th- I think it's just. I don't know I just think of the current political climate that America's in he also didn't take any questions from the Fox reporter there Peter Peter Ducci. and I look Fox has its own you know reputation or whatever mm-hmm. but I feel if a White House reporter is there you should answer the question because you can't make the same points about Trump follow the same the, the same pattern you know and I just think as well, it's so dangerous in this anti-Biden, you know, fake news, really dangerous rhetoric that's going across. And if you're not taking questions from all media outlets who are in that room, who will have a White House press briefing badge, I, they are
0: permitted to be there. Exactly. And it's really just adding fuel to the partisan fire. And like, I feel like American partisanship is really being fought a lot through media outlets. And you can't help but feel Biden is kind of perpetuating that through his his kind of lack of engagement with with Fox News and like like you said you loads of people have opinions on Fox News and we we'll leave that there but again echoing completely what you said when there's a white house reporter in the room you should you should answer them and you should try and get your message across at least at the bare minimum also i think one of the mo-
1: a really important thing well, like he was asked will he run in 2024 he's confirmed he will run which i suppose a lot of people thought he'd come in you know he's 78 years old and you know like it's just will like will he last it has to be said will he last modern medicine is great but there's i'm sure there's plenty of of young politicians who want to do it but you never know if kamala harris could jump ship and want to run again now that she'll have the four years of this administration behind her her. the press i don't know it's just an iffy thing i think politicians need to make themselves available to the press available to take questions and he's just not doing he's not doing it as often as he should quite frankly
0: And I think COVID, especially, I know I can only speak for Ireland, I guess, but how important communication, clear communication from the government is. and These press briefings are a direct line to the president. and They are really important, especially in the oversaturated media world that we are in, you know, to get a clear message. So it is important. Now more than ever, I feel that those things are carried out. And it's definitely something that the Biden administration should make more of a focus, I feel, going forward.
1: Mm-hmm. I suppose as well, so we're moving up to closer than 100 days now. Like in the last few weeks, we've seen yet another consequential bill. Huge. And it's Biden's $2.3 trillion infrastructure bill. And this is huge. And so when you think of infrastructure straight away, you think of the obvious things, you know, roads, transport, bridges, all the stuff you need, the basics. But it kind of reaches further than this. And he's looking at something that actually... Jeremy Corbyn brought up during the UK general election and people kind of laughed him out of the room, but he's bringing up the issue of broadband and, you know, access to high speed broadband broadband for all areas across the US. He's also looking, of course, another like classic infrastructure is water because obviously people saw the issues with Flint, Michigan and the access to clean and safe water. So There's an estimated 100 over 110 billion going into water workforce development, which is going to help dislocated workers and provide support for previously incarcerated people. It's about 100, uh, 100 billion dollars. And there's also he's also looking at climate as well that in terms of, you know, moving towards more sustainable energy and, you know, employing people to do so but I suppose one of the most interesting things about the infrastructure bill is the home care services and workforce. And I think as well, what we've seen with COVID, I mean, there's been figures coming out in New York state that Governor Andrew Cuomo is coming under serious pressure about the deaths in nursing homes. And we've even seen here in Ireland that nursing homes were pillaged by COVID-19, completely decimated, like healthcare workers under complete unimaginable strengths. And he's This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to insert elder care within an infrastructure bill, which people will argue that's not infrastructure, but to allow people to be cared for in their home because there's waiting lists for home care and so on. And those health care workers, those home care workers to the elderly people that need them. Mm -hmm. So I suppose like it is huge now. And it is, again, shocker it is not winning over the republicans because what is it it's big government coming in to control what you want and they have subsequently you know within the last few days they have released a counteractive bill which is estimated at about 568 billion so it's only a fraction of what the Mm -hmm. of what biden's but you know infrastructure as well important to add This is something Trump wanted as well, but it never happened. So it's kind of been coming down the line, you know, building new roads, bridges. Mm -hmm. But the Republicans as well, also in their proposed bill, they also want to put money for water, uh, drinking water, water storage as well for broadband. So I don't know. I just think the broadband one is really
0: interesting because. Especially because everyone's working from home now. I think we've all, well, not everybody, the people who are you fortunate enough to be in positions that they can work from home safely we've seen how important broadband is and how important it's going to be for the future and it's great that he's expanding that definition of infrastructure to that but it's like you said Neve. I don't that the Republicans don't seem to have an issue with you know the classic infrastructure or the new definition of infrastructure with broadband it's those things like you were saying like expanding the elderly care that they're like oh that's not infrastructure and also He's trying to do something similar in the climate section where he's introduced this clean electricity standard, which he wants to have a federal mandate that 80% of the electricity generated in the US will come from a zero carbon electricity sources by 2030. Now, some states already have like their own mandates for that, but this is a federal one. This is obviously like huge and kind of a legislated impact, like very similar to the elderly homes that he can, no executive order is going to diminish, but And, like, it's amazing to see, like, any big climate initiative like that. But Republicans are being like, hey, that's not an infrastructure thing. You're, like, snaky-snaky sneaking that in there, along with some of the, like, medical and housing stuff that he they're just not, don't seem to be biting for it, which is disappointing for the Biden administration.
1: Yeah, of course. And even just, you know, he wants more schools as well. He wants more funding for public schools, of course, because it's completely different you know the way it's it's done by districts over there yeah. so it's very different and that's not part of the republicans proposed infrastructure bill but this is going to go again this is only been brought forward now this is not going to go through anytime soon i think this will be something that'll be discussed throughout the summer because Obviously, there'll be cross party talks with, you know, the especially with the more moderate Republicans, you know, like Susan Collins, Mitt Romney, Pat Toomey, like there's quite a number. And I suppose as well, you have to look at the more moderate Democrats who also think this is far too much spending. And I think anyone who's been following US media knows that Joe Manchin, who's a senator in West Virginia, he is now one of the most powerful men in the Democratic Party because he is he's a swing vote. Essentially, you just don't know what way he's going to (laughs) go. he might not guarantee that you know while we say there's 50 democrats 50 republicans that doesn't guarantee when you have more center left democrats who
0: aren't going to agree with this (coughs) amount of federal spending the democratic ideological spectrum that you need to take into account like you said neve they might lean more republican economically yeah it's like socially liberal fiscally conservative um
1: kind of and but i suppose like that's kind of where we're at and like we're only trying to get into a fraction you know there's still so many more policies especially with regards to foreign policy you know we've seen um Anthony Blinken who's his foreign secretary go you know with regards to China as well obviously that was a huge strong point for Trump in terms of like what he led on and obviously foreign policy is big if you're a Republican so Interesting to see what Biden will do there like we discussed the actions on Myanmar what's what will we be done with that as well the, I suppose climate action is huge there was a climate mm-hmm. summit last a global climate summit last week you know Minister Eamon Ryan was there and so was President Biden along with their climate envoy John Kerry who was a very well-seasoned politician he's mm-hmm. been around for donkey's years so there's so many things we could have gotten into but I suppose like Amy what are we looking at now we have we're only this is only the first hundred days we have four more years of this administration. I think, like, we've seen two extreme, like, I suppose, like, vaccines was a big thing. And now we have these two extremely, like, huge, large spending bills. I don't know. They, to me, they just scream like very FDR
0: lbj vibes there it is very much that and you can't you you can't help but like hanker back to that in your mind like it is very much like him coming in trying to save the day with these sweeping bills that like fdr was able to sweep through on his first 100 days and and biden seems to be mimicking that and you know thankfully with the the current climate that we're in that there is the ability to do that but as we've discussed literally through every one of those bills What Biden's presidency for the next four years is really, really going to have an issue with is this Senate majority that the Democrats have by one vote. And this is what's going to be. It's this partisan kind of split in the Senate that is going to mark what he can and what he can't do and where he's going to have to compromise. And I think two great examples of how this might play out is the family plan that's coming up and the voting rights bill that's coming up. Uh, so the first one the family plan is very much like another huge bill it's valued currently at 1.8 trillion super ambitious and what it's really looking to do is like devote loads of money to a national child care at pre-kindergarten which is like a like play school paid family leave free tuition for community college and loads of other domestic priorities that center around like the family it's proposed to be partially funded by like loads of tax hikes on high incomes americans and investors which obviously is not stunning for republicans because that is kind of more who they target this bill is kind of the second part of his like "Build back better which follows the 2.3 trillion infrastructure plan that we like talked about this is like his second half to it so it'll be interesting to see you know how that how that plays out will he be able to get it through especially when this is much more clearly uh democratic bill you know 2022
1: is when we'll have the next set of elections i suppose for the house of representatives and we, we will see because it, it's not that much of a margin now no. between like democrats and republicans so they could easily you know they could easily lose it you don't know what's going to happen and i think we've seen even recently like how fragile that majority is you know in the covid relief bill biden tried to sneak in you know a hike well not sneak in i suppose because obviously people voted on it but raised by raising the federal minimum wage to 15 dollars per hour it hasn't been updated since 2007 and it's currently like seven dollars and 25 cents for a minimum wage which i suppose like in europe that's it seems farcical because what we have is like in Ireland is that is actually deemed one of the lowest in within Europe. So mm-hmm. the fact that the federal wage is 725. But that was voted against by Democrats as well, and by eight Democrats, including Shakar, just Senator Joe Manchin, and also, you know, Kristen Cinema of Arizona, which is a it's a still a swedish state, even though Arizona Arizona went blue. It's been a swing state in the past, so you just don't know. So I think there has been talks about, you know, Senator Mitt Romney and Senator Christian Sinema. They are talking about bringing in a a bipartisan fed federal wage. But I suppose even today, it was announced that you know Biden is preparing to sign an executive order to increase the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour for for thousands of federal contractors now. So obviously, if within the private sector can't do anything, but he's just looking at doing that now. He's going to trail ahead. So again. Very fragile. Even there, if you this is only the first few months, like minimum wage, you'd think would have full democratic support, but evidently not. And there's just going to be more issues like this, as well. And I think another thing as well that's going to come down the line is he wants to bring in really substantial change to to the voting rights bill, a new voting rights bill. Like we haven't really seen kind of this fundamental change since it was brought in in the late 1960s, and that will with regards to you know mail in voting bringing the voting age to 16 you know the rights for 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 prisoners you know incarcerated people who are incarcerated to vote and you know the need for voter id
0: like i don't, I don't know it's just and even that they're requiring more disclosure from political donors like huge like that's gonna really change the the voting landscape uh, of america but like you said neve yeah it's like will will he get that through which is something that's like so huge and i think there's a bit of go on them to get this one through because some states like georgia have started at a state level pushing through bills like georgia has pushed through a bill now that's curtailing the use of drop boxes for ballot returns requiring photo identification to vote by mail ending early voting on sundays which is when many black churches carry out their sunday service so it's they're kind of like oh god we need to get this through we need to get this through but like you were saying, Leave, like, will they be able to get that through with the way that the Senate is split now? And like you said, like the House, like that election is going to come up quickly again. Will they hold Congress? I know. And like the Republicans, like, you know, Kevin McCarthy, who's
1: the, who's the House minority leader, Republican congressman, that's going to be his next agenda, you know, to try and get more Republicans. That will be his main agenda. So I just think you just don't know what's going to happen. I think it's going to be very interesting four years, I mm-hmm. suppose. And you just don't know what's going to happen down the line. Like he wants to make a lot of change. And also as well, will he be pandering more or leaning into a more progressive Democrat rather than a moderate Democrat than Obama? Because a lot of progressives will feel they helped get Biden elected. And who's he going to appease? And is he going to really, as he said, you know, bring back the soul of America and heal a nation that was, you know, ripped apart by fake news and really dangerous rhetoric, false information about elections and so on but i don't know i don't know if that's possible hasn't done that yet
0: i know i have to say though now he's done a lot more than i thought he would like i think a lot of people sleepy joe he was you know called regularly on the campaign trail which is kind of bullying i don't know but he has like tried to push through a lot of stuff and it's great seeing stuff like the family plan even if it is super ambitious to kind of get more Regulatory care in there for families, like he is a lot more. His policies do seem to lean, tend to lean a lot more progressive than I think a lot of people anticipated. But like you said, Neve, will he be able to continue to do that? Will he have to go more moderate? Does he want to lean into those progressive kind of ideologies more? Yeah, it's like we're gonna have to wait and see. It's been an interesting 100 days, I think.
1: Of more what's to come but that's all for this week's episode then of the polling station
0: let us know what you think of Biden has he done a good job has he done a non- good job do you think his policies you know should go further do they not go far enough uh, let us know we always love to hear from you uh, we're at the polling pod on Twitter and Instagram so give us a follow there subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to get each episode dropped into your phone or whatever device you're listening on just as they come out But uh, until next week, Bye. bye.